Hello and welcome to the Open Labour podcast. I'm joined as always by my co-host Tom Hinchcliffe. Hi Tom. Hi James. And we're joined today as well by Jenny Simmons, who is the chair of the Westminster GMB. You represent MP staff in Westminster and in their constituencies. And today's podcast is about MP safety. And the reason that we've decided to do this podcast is because of the recent heartbreaking news of the murder of Sir David Amos. And accordingly, I'd like to start off by paying tribute to Sir David who served as the Member of Parliament for Basildon from 1983 to 1997, and then South End West from 1997 until 11 days ago when he was tragically killed. We in the Labour Party know what it feels like to have someone so cruelly taken away from us, our own Joan Cox, having been murdered when carrying out her duties and serving the public. And we'll never forget the 16th of June 2016. There are no words that can accurately sum up how heinous these crimes are, but fundamentally they are an attack on the democratic process. And politics is driven by passion and emotion, and it can often be confrontational. Unfortunately, in this atmosphere, it's easy to only focus on what divides us. But on the 15th of October, collectively, as a society, We took stock of what unites us, and we all hope that continues. From the countless testimonies to Sir David over the course of the past 11 days, it was clear that David was a good man who was passionate about his community. David campaigned on issues that us in the Labour Party also feel very passionately about, such as learning disabilities and animal rights, to name but a few. And so today, we extend our solidarity to David's family, his constituents and the Conservative Party. And I will leave it at that, and we'll move on now to the discussion around MP safety. Tom, Jenny, you both work for MPs. This is the second tragic incident in the past six years or so. We hear about MP safety being at risk all the time in the papers, of course, on social media as well. What are your thoughts on, on, on what's happening at the moment? And, and, and maybe you could give us some examples of, of, of some of the issues. Yeah, um, thanks, James. I think it was a massive shock um, for all of us in the parliamentary community um, when Sir David was attacked. I think we've kind of let MP safety fall by the wayside. It's sort of gone to the back of our minds, um, partic- well, especially since Joe Cox died five years ago. Um, But even during the times of Brexit, MPs were very much at risk um, from angry members of the public, sometimes their constituents, sometimes others. And they were at risk in Parliament in Westminster as well as in their constituencies. And that was quite a big concern at the time, particularly when there were kind of Brexit marches around Parliament down Whitehall and Parliament Square. Um, I was a staffer back then and I felt worried for my own safety when I was working in Parliament those days but also very worried for my boss's safety, who at the time had taken a stance on Brexit, which was very much against what his constituents wanted. So that was a very precarious time. And I think we were very wary of staffer safety as well. I remember um, Anna Subri being harassed whilst walking around with her staff members. And I feel like they 
um, needed security and it was mentioned in the commons, I think maybe it was a point of order, particularly about Anna Subri's staff. So we were very aware that um, our safety was precarious back then as well. And I think just since then, everything has sort of gone on the back burner. We've had a lot to think about, like with COVID and um, various other staff issues. So, yeah, I think it was, it just hit us very suddenly. It was very traumatic. Even if, you know, you didn't need to have known Sir David personally to feel really shaken by it because mm. I think we're quite a tight community here we understand um we understand the ways that we can be affected by this sort of thing in a way that our friends might not or even other people you know involved in politics might not understand the feeling the connection sure. that we we have with our MPs um it's a very special relationship and yeah so our hearts just and our solidarity goes out particularly to Sir David's staff but and is 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 this an isolated incident? And in you, in your experience, I feel like I know what you're gonna you're gonna say, but I'm I'm, I'm gonna give you the opportunity to say it. Um, I'm, 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 because there, there has been a broader discussion around it over the past eleven days. But what's your opinion? Um, and I don't necessarily I, mean, of course, is there going to be uh, an attack as, as as awful as this? But in, in terms of general safety for MPs and MP staff and all elected officials, you know, what's it like yeah. out there? I think so. I was going to say in terms of isolation, obviously, like the police will be able to, to, to determine at some point whether Sir David's particular attack was motivated by ongoing um, something broader or whether it was an isolated incident in that, in that particular instance. But that's for them to determine. I think in general, though, um, there is a growing trend of MPs being harassed in a variety of different ways. Um, so David, obviously his attack and the brutality of it um, is the most extreme thing we've seen in a, in a few years, but it's part of the same continuum of MPs being harassed on social media, um, receiving abusive emails, abusive phone calls, um, getting shouted at in public. That's all kind of, it's all part of this somehow the, what do I mean like a dam has been broken in terms of abusing MPs mm. and it's just so the public a lot of the time feel like it's part of it's their democratic right to show yeah. their anger and to to have a um to attack their representatives and that's just not the case it's not part of democracy to be abusive and um threaten people's lives and their safety but I think yeah the the attack I would like to say it is an isolated incident because I don't feel like that sort of thing is expected to happen all the time, but it is part of a general culture of people um, showing their outrage very viciously. Um, there, it, there is a huge difference, isn't there, between we don't want a public that's deferential and doesn't question politics and our politicians, hmm. uh, but at the same time, it's, you know, it's about doing that in a respectful way. Tom? Yeah, um, Jenny's right. I mean... The, the thing you touched on about, you know, it being a tight-knit group in Parliament, it, it, that's right. I mean, regardless of political affiliation, this isn't just about Labour. I know it's an open Labour podcast, mm. but whatever party you represent, everyone's kind of, you know, I've got Conservative friends, Lib Dem friends, staff, and I genuinely believe every single MP goes into politics for the right reasons. Whether you believe, whether you believe in their worldview or not, I think they believe that they're helping people, and that's all... Sir David was doing. I don't agree. With, I didn't agree with a lot of his politics, but that shouldn't even need to be said. And there's a in colleagues and friends that I've spoken to. There's a lot of anger in a way um, and despair 
um, across Parliament just because it's the fact that it's happened again and it could have been any of us. That, that, that's the prevailing sense that I get from, I don't know about Jenny, but, you know, it could have been any of us, MPs, staff, or, you know, anybody that works in constituency offices or Parliament from staffers to cleaners to anybody, if, if someone gets in with a weapon or something like that, then anything can happen. And I think that's why there's been a more unified and collective response to it um, from, and it's quite rare that this happens, from people working in Parliament and those in constituency offices. And I think it shouldn't have taken Joe's murder and then Sir David's murder to change things that like people are talking about over the last 11 days. And, you know, and this this all happens despite David's amazing work in the constituency and, and Joe Cox's work and the work that the Joe Cox Foundation has done since on stuff like this. And it, it's happened again. And that is, that's something that we all have to kind of um, uh, reconcile with now. Yeah. And I've had people get in touch with me from the GMB saying, has anything even changed since Sir David was killed? Has anything tangible changed in the past, how many did you say, 11 days? Mm. Um, and if we feel like not much has changed in the past five years since when Joe was murdered, it's even more worrying to think that there's been all this discussion in the media, all this fear from staff and anger and upset and grief. And still we're not seeing a strong difference. So there are, there are changes that are being implemented, but we don't necessarily feel here like it's, it's um, enough to make us feel radically safer or like more secure for our bosses. So, so let's drill down a little bit more into that then. So what's been proposed, A, and B, where should they go? How much further should these proposals go in your opinion? I think a lot of the issues are... Um, uh, need to be preventative but at the minute there's a feeling especially in my head and I've heard this echoed from a few colleagues that a lot of the measures that are put in place so-called measures are things that you know um, it's, it's a, they, 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 they're activated when violence or abuse is already ongoing and there needs to be a system in place where it doesn't turn violent or abusive in the first instance and that does so talk a little bit more about that then what what is it because I, I i don't know because it is local officials who get a we've got a an app on our phone that we can press but as you say that's in the process isn't it and you don't always have time to think well that, how do we stop exactly it getting to the point well this is it i mean there's no silver bullet to this and i think it starts with how we do politics in this country in the first place which is what Jenny touched on about, uh, especially after Brexit and, and toxic things like that, that and, and all of us have been shouted at in the street. I know I have with my boss um, in a Remain constituency about him spotting Remain. And it's just, you know, it, it, politics in this country has become so polarised that, as Jenny said, people think that, some people think that they're exercising their democratic rights by shouting and screaming at members of parliament and people can get carried away. And obviously the motives for Sir David's death haven't been announced yet and things like that. But, you know, no rational person goes to a constituency surgery and stabs an MP to death. It just doesn't happen. So we've got to reconcile with the, with the motives behind these things and how we do politics. But at the same time, there's no silver bullet. I mean, a lot of people are talking about um, appointment systems but my office is an appointment systems for years. And, and that is one change that 
I know a lot of MPs do open surgeries, but we never have for security reasons and because it's more time efficient for the people that we want to see. And that's the main reason um, that you can give them more of your time. But that's not a silver bullet because someone can still ring up, be a constituent of yours, tell you they want to speak to you about an issue and stab you. There's no, you know, yeah. it's not a preventative measure, is it? So, yeah, I, I just think there's there's um, there's more to be done, but there's no people are speaking in absolutes and that needs to stop and there needs to be more nuance about security threats well i mean you're talking about something more fundamental there aren't you about the sort of deep divisions in our society they've been there for a long time but perhaps exposed so sharply by brexit and we've seen that that's spilled over into the streets it's spilled over into how members of the public interact with each other depending on which divide you're on and and of course it's certainly filtered into our politics that that aside though I'm trying to drill down now and and, and I'm sure that we could do an entire podcast about how our politics is divided and 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 what we need to do to try and bring people back together and rebuild the a more cohesive society that we had before but I'm thinking now about practicalities. What can we what can we do as say open labor? And it is it's not all local open labor members that listen to this podcast, but surely there's something we can do as open labor to campaign to support you guys and support all MPs, not just Labour MPs, to be more safe. Basically, the Parliamentary Security Department are kind of in discussions to offer staff a range of training, which would be sort of proactive rather than reactive. So that's what a lot of People are feeding back as that they want, like you said, Tom, they want security improvements to be proactive rather than waiting for another catastrophe and to happen before we act. So, yeah, the um, staff are going to be offered, hopefully, training on things like first aid, um, training on de-escalating difficult constituents so that um, they can notice the signs of someone who is perhaps having a mental health crisis or um, has other sorts of signs of bad acting like bad, bad intentions that are coming out yeah. Yeah. um ways to recognize those things and de-escalate before it turns into a conflict there's also going to be hopefully some sort of security threat training um and people have talked about self-defense training that may be offered but again i think my issue is with that is that it implies that the owners should be on us to defend ourselves as staff which shouldn't mm. be the case because we do need to have proper security trained officials. So that's going to be something that all MPs offices will be offered as, as a security officer, but that it's not clear yet whether that will only cover constituency surgeries or whether other events will be covered as well. Cause there's a lot of concern about Remembrance Sunday and MPs being very prominent in those sorts of events. There will also be hopefully in that sort of event like Remembrance Sunday parades, there would be police there. So they would hopefully be well trained and understand the threats posed to MPs and their staff but um, some staffers have, have said that they're not quite confident in their local police forces and how seriously they take MP safety so that's one thing there's also talk about MPs being offered stab proof vests um, sorry if you can hear some background noise I'm in one of the canteens in parliament so yeah um, it's good yes it adds a bit of atmosphere to the, the yeah podcast. a bit of ambience <laughs> in the background um, yeah, some stab stab proof vests um, are possible, and apparently some MPs have asked to be armed with guns, which I think is an absolutely heinous idea. Mm. And uh, there are some MPs that you just think you're bad enough without being able to have a weapon around you. Um, 
Michael so, Gove with a shotgun underneath his table. Oh, yeah, it's just very <laughs> concerning. So I'm glad that that's not being taken forward. But those are some of the practical things. In terms of what open labour could do, I think there's... Well, don't of... focus on that so much. But I mean, just I mean, just in general, what, what should people be asking for yeah. or supporting MPs with, really? Don't yeah, I think what I was going to say is that, like, in general, open labour or any labour members and to the general public to go really broad is just to say like we need to tone down our political debate and I think there's been a lot of good conversation about this already but a group like Open Labour or other groups that I'm involved with um, Christians on the left which is a um, group that yeah basically Christian Labour members um, mm. we've done a lot of campaigning around um, disagreeing well and supporting one another in disagreements so rather than having so much hostility and we see a lot of that within the Labour Party obviously hostility around yeah. a variety of different policy issues so we don't even respect each other within our own movement a lot of the time never mind um, the general public respecting MPs of all political persuasions so I think groups can lead campaigns which can be effective in addressing online hatred and hostility I think there's obviously work for the police to do in terms of um, knuckling down on uh, people using hate speech on Twitter and other social media platforms, but that's also going to come through. Then these, in the, the online harms bill is going through Parliament at the moment and they're trying to yeah. toughen the language up in that. Um, so that's just some things that I think we could we could try and do to address it. It's it's really interesting though, isn't it? Because it's there is a there is a balance i mean in times like this it, it seems absolutely wrong to say that there is a balance but there is a balance between stifling democracy and so for example if we come down very very hard on twitter and facebook we know slippery slope theory and and when what is okay to say and what is not okay to say in term to your mp it's somebody's democratic right to be able to question their mp and that and that can that should be always be respectful but what is respectful and what isn't respectful is what is 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 it respectful to sort of bring in somebody's personal life into 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 an argument around an mp some would say that that's disrespectful some would say that that's an important part of being part of the public life these are all really difficult questions aren't they and i'm just wondering are these discussions been had we seem to go it's always the case in society isn't it we go one way or the other we sort of have a knee-jerk reaction on things is the conversation in your two's experience since you'll be party to it is the conversation level-headed and, and, and is it taking into considerations the wider implications on on democracy itself i think i think on on social media it's it's, it's a it's a lack of consistency and this is not just you know, from what people think is abuse and what people think is acceptable. Um, that stems from the police and social media and everything else that comes with it. And and it's like a consistency to the extent that I'm split between Parliament and the constituency office. So today I'm in Leeds and for the rest of the week I'm in Parliament. And it's, it's crazy how, how much safer you feel when you're in Parliament than when you're in the constituency. Um, you feel like anybody, our, our office is a little terraced house. Um, flat above and you just feel like anybody could turn up and do anything but in parliament you're surrounded by armed members of the police force constantly um you've got to remember things like taking your pass off when you're outside parliament and stuff like that but it's the same at party conferences but it's, it's not uncommon for people to get upset in constituency surgeries and things like that so you do feel a lot more exposed but then 
the lack of complacency goes towards social media where, you know, again, people speaking in absolutes about, there was this Tory MP, I can't remember the name, but, and Jenny might have seen this, about um, the environment bill. And she was, she she basically claimed that somebody having a go at her on Twitter for voting to um, dump raw sewage in water was abuse. And she said that this is abuse and this is why our politics is so that, toxic. Yeah. It's just, that's ridiculous. It's like, mm. that is a legitimate thing to moan at somebody about on Twitter about how they're voting and their voting record. That is how our politics should be conducted about voting records. Sure. It should never step over the line to violence and, and personal physical inter- intimidation or verbal intimidation. And this is why, is a I don't know why it's a blurred line, but it seemingly is on social media where um, they're talking about either not touching it at all or going for a blanket ban on anonymity, which is a problem because and there's no doubt that it's a problem because a blanket ban, given the amount of whistleblowers and human rights activists that rely on, anonymity on social media so they don't face threats themselves while they're raising these massively important issues either in this country or abroad or corporate issues you know and that that had really dampened down their effectiveness and people say we'll go to the papers and then and go to the media outlets and it's like well who runs the papers and media outlets Mm -hmm. and how are these voices going to be heard so maybe a system where accounts that are anonymous are limited or something like that might work but as I say it's 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 very hit and miss with every aspect of it and everybody's got this different um, kind of sense of what's acceptable and what's not. And when you're crossing the line and, and, and that's what needs to be cleared up, I think. Well, it's like having police at, at um, surgeries, isn't it? So on the face of it, it sounds like a good idea, especially in, in the light of the recent tragedies. But I used to work for a charity that used to, Essentially, it was for people that were intimidated by the police. So, uh, and it was to um, to report hate crime. It wouldn't take a genius to work out which, which charity it was. But essentially, it, it was set up because people that have um, come to this country that have perhaps reported things to the police in their own country, and, and that's ended up very badly. So they're very sceptical about having any sort of interaction with the police. So you put that into context and you think, well, you know, they, they've got a right to see their MP and take part in the democratic process and have their concerns listened to. But if you put a police officer there, it's going to put a lot of people off, isn't it? So it's putting people off from contacting their MP. Now, it's, it's issues like this. It doesn't seem like there is any clear answer. But what, what I'm trying to get is from both of you is, is there any consensus on exactly what should be done? It doesn't sound like there is because it's, it's a very, very difficult issues. I don't think there's anything that we discussed here where where we'd get a room full of 100 people and everybody would agree on. Is there anything that we that everybody agrees on that we should be doing? I don't know if there even is because a lot of Tory MPs. Sorry, I mean I, that's a generalisation. There may be a lot of MPs generally, but the ones I've heard about are Tories who don't want any, to accept any form of security um, at all. And I my perception of it is, is that it's perceived as some part of the whole woke culture like culture wars continuum where um accepting that you may be under a security threat is somehow weak and um snowflakey to complain about that yeah so that idea is absolutely absurd to me that that mps could could say there is absolutely no threat to me or my staff and if the MPs turn down security, the staff can't then accept it for themselves. They are then, they, you know, we are completely at the mercy of what our bosses want. So 
there's there's a then it, yeah so at one end you have people who don't want any changes at the other end you've got people MPs who probably might even be inclined to never have surgeries now and to only have email and phone correspondence yeah so there isn't really uh, an agreement but it's the, an agreement isn't needed what is needed is that the speaker will liaise with um the parliamentary security department and he'll liaise with also myself as um through the GMB and then there's also Unite in Parliament and there's other unions representing different forms of the, the different workers who work here they'll liaise with us and we'll come up with a plan that MPs just have to go with um, so I think we're quite lucky in that respect the speaker highly values the safety of staff um, and members but particularly staff so I think we can trust that something good will come out of that regardless of the fact that there'll be a lot of people who will think it's pathetic and don't want any security at all. I've seen a lot of this, actually, this this strongman syndrome um, with a lot of MPs, mainly Tory MPs, but, yeah, Tory uh, MPs. Um, and Dominic Raab was on the TV, um, I think it was, like, the two days after um, Sir David was killed, and, and he was saying, well, this is, and this is when the government were trailing the online harms bill and, and explaining what 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 changes they want to see be made, and he, while supporting the bill and everything else, was saying that I'm not having, you know, police at my surgeries. And I think that yeah, Jenny's right. People are seeing it as some sort of weakness when it's not. It's just a reality of what's happening. Um, you know, I, I I just think it's it's unthinkable that two days after one of your colleagues is killed that you, you decide to roll this strong man image out and that it's seen as a weakness when it's just it's simply not and you're protecting your staff i don't know another job in which employees are at the mercy of their bosses so much when it comes to security um mm-hmm. I, 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 apart and just just other than the british army <laughs> apart from the british army of course yeah but you know, we, we sit behind desks and type all day. <laughs> and yeah. What I was going to say, Tom, is if I could go on at some point to the, the wider stuff that we do with the union is that we are kind of at the mercy of our bosses for everything, aren't we? Yeah. In terms of what we're paid, like our direct bosses, we don't have, there is no one above MPs to regulate um, HR. And so we are at the mercy for whether we can take holiday, whether we can take sick leave, whether we can, um, yeah, what, what, what we're paid and, um, what kind of treatment we get, how many hours we have to work, even out of, out of normal working hours. Everything is is decided by MPs and our whole career opportunities depend on how well we get on with them, whether they'll give us a reference and whether or whether they'll try and stop us getting another job. Um, and yeah, security is part of that, but it's just the unfortunate element of the staff's experience here is that we basically rely on the goodwill of and whims of our of our bosses and MPs are not always rational no. <laughs> um, and ra- rational and kind employers. So that's, a, yeah, try not to say anything stronger than that. No, and yeah, I'll I tell you what, I, I shall come in and say, because I don't work for an MP, but I've, I know a lot of MPs and work very closely with them and it, it is very mixed. You get some of the nicest and nicest people in the world being MPs and then you get some people and you think, wow, you know, if you work for anybody else, you're, you're a tribunal waiting to happen. And and by all accounts, that, that that's not uncommon to, um, to to my experience. So I think we'll leave it at that with that. So 
GMB then what what are you guys up to how are you supporting how are you supporting MP uh, MP safety but also what are you doing for your members which are of course as as listeners will know from the introduction are staffers essentially for P, for MPs in Westminster and in the constituencies what are you up to well Tom feel free to come in on this as well as one of the members but um in terms of what we're campaigning at the moment we are campaigning um, branch and we are we like our members to kind of just be able to approach us directly as is the kind of the reps directly and say this is something that's bothering me in the workplace can we can we do something about it so we're we don't only offer kind of support in disciplinaries or um, grievances things like that it's also like proactive positive changes in the workplace so the moment we're trying to campaign to get caseworkers pay parity with research staff because at the moment there's a just there's a pay gap between caseworker staff is and there? research wow. staff yeah yeah it's really frustrating especially in like what caseworkers have had to deal with in afghanistan and the covid yeah. pandemic um we're also always campaigning on um, anti-bullying and there is actually we're going to have a special campaign week on that in november which we're looking forward to it hasn't been announced yet um we are working on um trying to get volunteer leave for mp staff so that they could have around three days per year to um, spend on some sort of voluntary service for their own welfare. Um, We've done things like support comms to help staff um, work from home if their MPs are kind of pressuring them to to work in parliament and also support flexible working. Um, Tom, is there anything else that I've forgotten that we (laughs) are doing? That's isn't it? That's that's brilliant, Jenny. In terms terms of domestic, yeah, you've you've got it all there. But um, there's, there's, there's other things that um jenny and her colleagues and, and the branch kind of put together that are really good um external things like we we all signed a or the majority of us signed a letter um at the other week about um, our pensions and then being invested in chinese banks with what's going on with the uyghurs in in china and i work in the foreign office brief um in parliament as well so that was pretty interesting for us to be able to be a part mm-hmm. of so it's not just about you know our rights and our safety it's about the safety of other people as well and that's kind of the the beauty of the institution of working in parliament you know you get all these opportunities to try and help people and, and jenny mm. and her team and and the the committee and the branch are really doing a good job in in, in pushing all that forward so mm. and, then, and also talking about what other workers what's going on for other workers around the uk because i think we are in such a bubble sometimes like i go on twitter yeah. and everyone is talking about something within parliament but we mm tried to support for example the british gas people who are on strike um in the fire and rehire scandal and then there's like gmb um bin strike bin workers on strike in glasgow like shout out to chris mitchell i think is his name in glasgow um so to try and boost our awareness because a lot of people in our branch will go on to become politicians or at least maybe work for the labor party or work in the civil service things like that so we want to make sure that we are always aware of other industrial action going on that's affecting people who don't work in parliament or in constituency. You cut off right at the end there. That was people that don't work in parliament. To our or, and constituency hmm? officers. And constituency officers. I presume though, it's pretty pretty high percentage of, of staffers are, um, are union members compared to other industries, given within, certainly within the Labour Party. Yeah. I don't know if you, have you got a, any sort of, rough guide, guidance oh. on the percentage of that. And I don't mean GMB, I mean just how unionised are uh, staff staffers for MPs? Is it, you know, we're talking 80% that sort of I don't region? Think or? I don't think we've got a figure, but at the same time, I don't know, from the Labour side of things, I don't know a single staffer that's not in a union. 
whether yeah, it's that's good to know isn't it? I mean that's really encouraging Tom so that's, that's good really I mean because yeah. clearly Tom's also recruiting people so therefore they don't stay on you nice for long yes um <laughs> I think actually do you know what a lot of people um seem to think that if their boss is nice they work for a nice labor MP they don't need to join a union mm-hmm. because unions I mean there's a perception amongst young people that unions are for kind of miners and industrial workers like that um, which obviously isn't the case that like office workers need to be in a union as well because we need our rights Absolutely. protected and just because your particular boss is nice um, or you think oh do you know what I'm comfortable with my salary I get to have the holidays I want um, I'm fine it's about thinking more about you know the collective our collective common good in parliament and how you can support others by being a part of a trade union so although there are some there are definitely some people who think they don't need to join you they don't need to pay the subs because they work for a Labour MP who won't mistreat them. Firstly, it's great that they feel like that now. They might not always feel like that. And secondly, it's about thinking about the wider movement. So that was my little pitch to anyone listening who's not yet a member of a trade union, I suppose. There you go. Any staffers? I'm a Unite rep, so I shouldn't be pushing this. But any any staffers, if uh, if you'd want to join the GMB, then um, I'm sure Jenny would be happy to sign I'm always <laughs> keen to hear from people. Yeah, we've got a great growing community of staffers who we try and be really supportive to. It's a good way to meet people when you're new in Parliament. It can be, can be quite an isolating place to work. And we're trying to connect more with people around the constituencies as well. Um, and yeah, just offer some pastoral support because sometimes it's just a bloody difficult, emotionally taxing place to work. Mm, and imagine. we want to be there for people. So yeah, please, anyone is welcome to reach out to me. Just just as a final thought from me as well, because I know we're short on time because we haven't got that four minutes. It's, um, it's such a weird job. It's not a normal job. And it shouldn't be a normal job because it's a privilege to be in this position, to be honest. But at the same time, it's it's so good what we've got in the GMB because I didn't know many people in Parliament before I joined that branch because I'm as I say I'm split between the constituents so I come down to Parliament for work and leave and that you know you don't see many colleagues or you do very briefly and you don't get to have this social time with them but I also yeah. didn't know about the, the 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 kind of benefits and things like that on what we could be funded for in counselling and and you know help and working from home and, and all these other benefits that you just don't know exist because your MP is too busy to put it to you and you never read your contract. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's just, yeah, yeah <laughs> you of course. Read contracts, but I didn't, and <laughs> you, don't, you don't see these things. And always you know, read your contract. Uh, you should Go always on. read your contract. I have a bad example, but yeah, it, it, it is so much help. So even if you don't work in Parliament or you do or whatever, join the trade union because you find out about so many opportunities that you just never, ever would envisage that they even exist. Um, it's like having an extra HR that's just not there in Parliament, frankly. So, yeah. Well, I'll uh, echo that. Join a union, but across all, all sectors, not just if you're a parliamentary staffer slash constituency staffer. And I think on that note, we shall leave it. Jenny, it's been lovely to have you. It really has. Thank you for giving us your insight into everything that's going on. I think you've been great. And, and I'm sure people have got a lot from this. And hopefully you'll get a lot more members off the back of it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And well done for all the work you do for Open Labour. Thank you very much.